Hello and welcome to another episode of the Echo Chamber. On today's episode is Dr. Nina Jar. That's at D R N W N A J H A on Twitter. Some of you will probably already know her. So, without further ado, let's get straight on with the show. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Echo Chamber, the regular show. Jamie's not with me today. For people who might be a bit confused and always hear me speaking to Jamie, he's not here today. Uh, we're back to the regular show, which means I get to talk to some really interesting people and not just about gaming. I'm only kidding, Jamie, if you're listening. On this week's um, episode, we have Dr. Nina Jar. You may know her from Twitter. Her Twitter uh, presence is quite large and she gets involved with lots of chat. Um, and I've always found her to be quite an interesting and a, a, a like-minded person. Let's just put it that way. Um, so hello, Nina. How are you doing? Hi, Barbara. That's a nice introduction. It's like waiting with bated breath as to what you were going to say about me. But no, thank you for asking me to be on. Really appreciate it. As everyone knows, I'm notoriously bastardish, and uh, <laughs> I will always like get to the nub of people and make them feel really small about themselves. No, no, no. It's oh, my pleasure having you. <laughs> it's my pleasure having you on. You know. How are you this evening? This is a late. This is a late show. I know. My bad. My bad. My eldest one had a bit of a nightmare and he wanted me, so I had to <laughs> pop him back down. So, yeah, sorry. It's at 9.20 we're starting. It is a late one. Way it past is, my bedtime. <laughs> it's a late on a Sunday night as well, on a school night. It is. Although, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you something really um, interesting. Uh, well, I think it's interesting. I've, I've had on no more than, um, uh, on at least two occasions... I have had people turning up to the emergency department having had nightmares. What? Yeah, I'm not talking no. about children. No, no, I'm not talking about children Ad- either. Like I'm t- adults. Adult people. Um, and, oh. uh, which, okay, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you how it went. Go it on. went how like this. It went, it, it went like they turned up and they were mm-hmm. very worried, as you would be. You know, everyone who turns up to the emergency department is worried. And, um, most people are genuine in their concern and that's fair. So it's not like I was belittling them or anything like that, but it was very interesting taking the story because basically the story went on both occasions, almost exactly the same way as well. The story went, uh, I was a sleep doctor and, um, when I was asleep, I felt that there was something just sat on me, sat on my chest and I couldn't move. And I tried to move and I couldn't move. And then I tried to scream out and I couldn't scream out. And then I felt like I couldn't breathe. And then I woke up and it all went away. And I was like, okay, just, can you just repeat that please? (laughs) Yeah. I was asleep and there was this thing on my chest and I couldn't move and I couldn't speak out and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And then I woke up. And I, uh, it, it got better. What do you think it is? Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Actually, that reminds me of one that I had a while ago and I was on call and I had someone book in with a seizure. So in GP, I thought, right, okay, that's really, I need to see them quite quickly. And um, it transpired that she'd had her 
this seizure whilst asleep but she lives alone she had no witnesses so I'm like how how do you know you had a seizure if you're asleep and she was asleep throughout the seizure as well and the seizure didn't wake her up and she goes I'm not entirely sure if I dreamt I had a seizure if I was just dreaming I had a seizure if I actually had one so like where do you Where do you well, that's go interesting. With that? It's difficult, isn't it? Because these these people, both both of them, those are the, the people I dealt with, came in very genuinely upset mm. and worried. And then, what's funny is, I wonder where I even knew it from. But I knew of this thing called sleep paralysis. Yeah. And this isn't a medical show. We're not going to talk about medicine. We no. never do. But, but it's this a isn't so much a common thing. Sleep it's paralysis. very I mean, common. I, I, I've had it before. If you know, I think it's that thing where you're waking up from deep sleep, isn't it? And you're just in that point where you're waking up and you can't move your body, yeah. feel paralysed, essentially. A hundred percent. The thing about it is, as people who might have listened to this before know, I'm a bit of a student of history, and it's interesting that sleep paralysis is what we call it in modern times. But actually, the story of sleep paralysis uh, is ubiquitous. It's across all human culture. In in medieval northern Europe, it was called the old hag. So it was this considered. It was a. Um, it was called. I, I had a visit from the old hag last night, and it was a myth that basically a witch or something goes into your sleeping chamber and purposely harasses you because they get off on uh, making you scared. And, you know, people describe the same thing over and over again. I felt like I was awake, but I couldn't move and um, I couldn't scream. And I knew there was something in the room or there was someone on my chest. And in in Japan, they even have these um, little... uh, So in Japan, Japanese folklore is really interesting. They have these things called yokai. Yokai are spirits of inanimate objects and other like kind of mischievous things have never been humans and they're not ghosts of human things they've never been that they just are the spirit of the rock or the spirit of the river or things like this and they can be literally loads of little things but they all have these little personalities and there's this little rock yokai uh, and the story about this you know going back into medieval japan and earlier they were talking about these rock yokai that sit on your chest and just at night, just 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 for poops and grins, really. <laughs> and, but isn't um, it cool that you just have this one phenomenon that is like just synonymous across like all human beings across the world, and every mm. culture has their own interpretation of it? I really, yeah, it's really interesting. But if you don't know that, and you have wow. this really horrible experience, yeah. and you've never had it before, you might turn up yeah. to the emergency department at night. Yeah. And I think it was it was really interesting for me because I actually enjoy these kinds of interactions occasionally with uh, patients. You know, it's not like I laughed in their face or anything. I said, oh, no, that's really interesting. But actually, did you know this is a yeah. thing? And you're basically treating them with a little factoid. And once they know that actually, no, this is this has a name, this, this thing that you're experiencing has a name, mm. and it's entirely benign. Um, you don't need to worry. You don't need blood tests or an X-ray and things like this. These, this is just part of the human experience that's gone back, well, ever since human beings have been humans. But that's the thing about how you know we had that whole issue a while ago. I can't remember who it was now. Where it was? Who said it? Um, somebody in the government. People should avoid going to A and E with you know with your symptoms. Try and avoid going to A and E. But that's the thing. Like 
you can't expect people to know what's serious and what's what's not serious because let's say if somebody had a heart attack when they were just waking up from sleep and they had the pressure in the chest and you know we can't expect people to always know the difference that that's our that's our job that is our job and the other part of it is making sure that our education is up to a certain standard that actually people do know a little bit about what to expect and what to understand and and I think yeah. that's definitely sorely lacking. It's and it's one of those things where actually, is it really the responsibility of acute healthcare people and primary care people to educate everyone about every little I, thing? Do you know what? I, I think that I don't know why we don't have that basic education in schools, like in children. I think it should be incorporated into the national curriculum, just basic health things, because actually, health knowledge, you know, across the board is surprisingly poor you know comparing different areas why well, I think it would be a lot more in- helpful than some other topics I've done in school or you know it could be incorporated alongside but just having just a little bit of health or like who what when to access healthcare and which healthcare system to access for this basic need I think should be in there I, oh, I, I think I think that's absolutely true I've always um I've kind of toyed with this idea of a adult infotainment show Um, and I say adult on purpose because kids do have some really good tv shows around uh health and what to expect and quite really honest and done really nicely with Dr Range and Operation Ouch and all of this yeah it's such a good show it's so good it's It's so informative I know. And they're, so, and they're not patronising. They're like, this is no, how it is. This is what yeah. to do. This is what to expect. Don't worry about it. If it, if you get this problem, go speak to an adult. It's done in, at such a perfect level yeah. uh, for the person that's watching. But I think that there's definitely a gap in the market for an adult's version of that with, you know, a bit of information, a bit of entertainment, a bit of explanation that, like, certain things... Like like certain things that always get me, I'm a huge advocate of people getting appropriate pain relief. Um, When I think oligoanalgesia is a huge thing. Again, it's Mm -hmm. a medical term. So people not getting enough pain relief. And usually that's because either healthcare providers don't recognize it or don't believe them and all of this nonsense. And I absolutely, it it drives me potty. Not just how badly... The, the general public understand pain, but also how badly our own colleagues understand pain. Well, I'm not yeah. going to get into that entirely, but my point is certain topics could be really nicely done in an interesting way for adults to understand. Because you can incorporate it into like EastEnders or, or, or even something like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, oh, paracetamol didn't work, so I stopped taking that and started taking tramadol. And that's you know someone's what? like, hold we on, apply hold for on. a role in like, I yeah. don't know, EastEnders or Coronation Street yeah. as like the resident doctor, and then it can have an Maybe. episode there. One of the cast members comes to us. Like, oh, oh man, that'd be so boring. Could you imagine? <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, you should take paracetamol and tramadol together. They work better together. <laughs> Interestingly, and actually, tramadol's pretty crap. Why don't I give you some oromorph mm. or something like that? That will mm. work better for you, um, and won't make you go loopy. But you know, but things like that. Pain is a huge one. My other favourite is when grown adults come in, and whatever the reason, there's there's a whole load of reasons that this can present this way. But people who pretend to be unconscious, like I work in the emergency department. (laughs) This is what I do. We know what an unconscious person looks like. What what are you doing? (laughs) 
It's like you, you don't go into like KFC and show them, a, you know, a steak and say this is fried chicken. No, 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 this is fried chicken. I insist yeah. that you accept this as fried chicken. Like that's not how it works. Like we yeah. know what we an know. unconscious person looks like. I know what a deep fried chicken leg looks like. Yeah, you know. <laughs> with the, we've had a few with fake seizures, and you can tell because sometimes they forget they're seizuring and talk to their mum while they're doing. Mm. It. Like, oh, see, you can still. You know, and I've seizure. had people standing up, seizing, um, whilst dancing and peeing at the same time, and you just think, oh, well, that's <laughs> that's really interesting. I'm glad that you think yeah. that that's a seizure, but mm. you know, come on, do better. The seizure true. ones, in, the seizure true. ones, dangerous as well. That's the thing because sometimes the thing is, if you're having seizures that are un- uncontrollable, the treatment for that is that we put you into a coma, which is a really high risk mm-hmm. thing to do. Whereas no. if your seizures yeah. are fake, the treatment for that is to leave you alone in a dark room. There couldn't be a bigger gap it in terms of the difference of treatment. <laughs> Um, and no, if you get really that wrong, couldn't. it could be really bad. It could be bad. I know. I um, know. So, oh, you know, a little bit of education will hopefully mitigate anything like that happening. Like, okay, if you're going to pretend to have a seizure, do it properly at least. Uh, yeah. And if you're going to pretend to be unconscious, you know, like, you also, know, do, do something um, proper. That's all. Uh, red lipstick with glitter in it over your face. We can't confuse that with blood. So it's a nice try trying to put red lipstick on your face. But with glitter in it. I've oh had that. Word. They forgot it had glitter in it. And yeah, it was rushed in as a yeah. epic I mean, bleed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> costume blood, you know, that, like that you can get yeah. fake blood from like really cheaply from costume shops. Do you know what? It looks really realistic. It looks really mm. realistic. Have you used it before? The fake blood. I used oh, it when. Um, oh god, this is actually a really embarrassing story. This is actually a really embarrassing story. I was in first year medical school, and my cousin, we're, we're both complete idiots. Anyway, he he lived uh, quite near me. He he had a, he was doing a year out in an accountancy firm or something, so we would go out quite a lot. And he had these tickets. This really posh. Halloween party or rave in like Hammersmith or something and he goes come on like someone gave me these these tickets off the street someone just handed them to him let's go and it was it was it May somewhere really posh and we're like oh my god we've never been there before you know we're med students who go to somewhere really posh let's go let's go and um we had the this party or whatever started in about an hour or two hours time we had no Halloween costumes so in my halls they had put some paper these life-size paper skeletons so we just dressed all in black put these paper skeletons on went to this like pound shop and got this fake blood and just covered our face with fake blood we got to this party um which was meant to be a dress-up party, according to my cousin. There was nobody dressed up. Everybody was in, like, these smart, these suits and these, like, smart dresses. And we completely, you know, so we tore off these stupid skeletons that we tied to our backs. We completely forgot we had this fake blood all over our face. And we just walked in. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, what's happened? Are you, are you all right? Have you been in a car accident or something? I'm like, oh, no doesn't even come off it just smears everywhere when you try and take it off yeah so that wasn't we stayed for about five minutes and then we left <laughs> oh dear yeah costume parties are a danger they really are oh, hate uh, them. we went to one recently um and um even up until we were getting in the car to leave my wife was like are you sure 
are you sure other people are going to be wearing costumes? And I said, look. <laughs> you went to an adult even if costume not, party. I don't think I've been to one as an adult. I yeah, like, I mean, it was a joint. Kid it was... stuff. Do you get a lot of the kids, like even the school were having Roman Day or Pirate Day. Can your kid come dressed up as a whatever, like, and then on, like tomorrow or next week? How many, how do they expect us to buy costumes or when any kid has a fancy dress birthday party, my heart just sinks a little bit inside. I know, I know. And we can't just talk about this. It'll turn into like the biggest parenting bitch about schooling. But (laughs) honestly, like the stuff that schools are expected, expecting parents to get up with. And I think it's, 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 good up to a point to engage parents in the lives of their children of course it is but come on like these the the requirements sometimes just get ridiculous um i'm already doing all their homework for them come on give me give me a break (laughs) i have to admit my my school's quite good with that because they don't really do homework for the kids it's uh my kids go to this tiny little like we we live near a village. There's this tiny little village school. It's, it's like a house. It's a state school, and um, their ethos is very much about everybody being kind people and good morals and just bonding. So they do their work at school, and the homework is literally they just get a bit of a book to read, and they don't really have. That's the right way so to do it. Quite quite nice, actually. That is quite nice. I think to be fair, I'm being we're being a bit harsh, but my. Um... Right, we're my, with my, us for our homework. I know <laughs> we'll I find know. something to complain. We will find something to complain about. Of course, of course, we will. Um, of course, we will. Is, 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 you know, parents are an interesting group of people that can never ever be pleased, um, and really anything less than you know, teachers sacrificing themselves on the altar of your child's well-being is oh, yeah. um, is a failure, right. as far as I'm concerned. But you know, that's why you get six weeks off holiday, teachers. <laughs> And I know That's my sister true. listens to this. Yeah. She's a teacher. Yeah. Is she? Yeah. Uh, and she goes, oh, she... I have me marking. I've got marking exactly. to do. It's not time off. <laughs> they have to do all the prep for the next year. <laughs> I love it. We were, we were, the kids are going back after six weeks and they're like, oh, no, we can't start on Monday. It's an inset day. You what? Oh, yeah. Oh, we've got to do teacher training. You've been what off for six weeks. Inset day, because my school has a lot of inset days. I don't really know what inset day is. Yeah. You know all those extra days off you get than everyone else? Do your mm. training then. Exactly. Yeah, anyway. Unbelievable. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, teachers. We do. We do. You, know, you deserve I, a pay rise. I can barely, yeah, I can, I, I can barely stand my own children, let alone all the other people's kids. So, you know, well done. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't so, do it. Oh, Nina, that's nice. We, we haven't even talked about who you are yet. Tell us about who you are, Nina. That's because I'm not very interesting, far, but I haven't got very much to say about myself. What do I say? Um, I am a GP, if people didn't know that. Uh, GP, and then I do... Like, I've always... I've been a salary GP for about eight years, so... I kind of fell into general practice more more than it was like a calling for me or whatever. So I, you know, I met my husband quite young. We had med school together, and then we were just kind of looking at jobs that would work with our family lives as well. And he went into he's a respiratory medic, and then I went into general practice. And then yeah, we had our, our babies, moved to a new part of the country, had our kids, and that's been me the last eight years, kind of working as a part-time salary GP, just just kind of learning how to be a GP. 
I really feel like it's an apprenticeship like when you start as a GP it's quite different to the kind of GP you are like eight years on or ten years on and then the last couple of years um, I've just been kind of exploring different roles now my kids are a little bit older so I did a bit of work and I've been doing some work in A&E urgent care prevention of admissions one 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 so just like doing a few other roles around that really so that's who I am. Yeah, that makes any sense. Sorry. No, no, no. It's a, it's a great thing to do. It's always good to mm. put many strings to your bow. Um, doing the same job day in, day out. I still don't out. know it's what difficult. I want to be when I grow up because actually this is not my, what my, yeah. where my heart is, is global health. So that's the sort of, that's what I want to do in the future. So I took a year out in my training and um, I worked in South Africa for a year. And I'm hoping to do something like that in within the next year again. So that's that's what I want to do. Hmm. That's amazing. So what, anyone who listening, and I, I obviously know, I know what global health is. But perhaps <laughs> someone who's listening doesn't know what global health is. Tell us what global health is and why you're so interested in it. Well, it was... I wasn't even, I didn't even know much about it, to be honest, until I did my year out. So I worked for, so I did it in my penultimate year of training, because a lot of places where you go to, you have to have minimum of a certain number of clinical years as a doctor to actually go out there. So I went to um, South Africa, we went through a company called Africa Health Placements, where they place doctors in really, really rural areas. Um, so those hospitals, they don't have websites or internet, so they can't even access doctors to go and work there from abroad. So there's this organization that helped place you. So we only found out where we were going about six weeks before we arrived. And, um, that experience changed me completely as a person professionally, just opened my eyes as to, This is going to sound really silly, um, but it's the first time I actually felt like a doctor in the sense of, you know, the doctor, you kind of what you imagine a doctor to be when you're a child. I don't know if you ever had that, but that's what what I felt I was when I was out there. Um, So just to put it in context, so there was about um, we were very, very rural in the northwest province, so kind of bordering the um, the Namib Desert and it was a 250 bed hospital and on top of that we had about another 200 patients coming through A&E and outpatients every day and there were nine of us doctors um, to start with the last two weeks it was just myself my husband and one other doctor for the last two weeks and we had 24-hour theatre so it was just a completely different mindset and just you know, you can make such a difference. Just the, the the life you're seeing, the health you're seeing, the suffering that you're seeing, it kind of puts everything into context again. It's a really humbling experience. Yeah. And yeah. you can actually uh, make a massive difference. Oh, 100%. Um, I remember having a similar experience when I was in uh, West Africa. And... Um, I mean, I will remember those days and those weeks that I worked out in a rural clinic there uh, better than I will remember pretty much any other part of my career. Yeah. 
um, not just from the medical side of things, which, if I'm honest, was just crazy. Yeah. So the, the stuff that was going on was it, crazy. It, you can't even describe it. No, to, people don't. If you don't have a context, it's beyond for what, what we yeah, do here. Yeah. What, what third world medicine is like? Rural third world medicine yes. is like. Um, there's, you, it's very difficult to get people to understand what it, what what <laughs> the stuff you yeah, see. Yeah, it is. And and the incredible people, the incredible way people just manage. Yeah. Not just the not just the healthcare people, but the the patients, like the and, stuff. Yeah. That, like we, I worked a little bit in like an obstetrics area in the hospital. I worked all over the place, but you know, in the obstetrics bit, and these women, stuff would happen to them, and they were just like up and out. Yeah. The next day, and I won't go into the, the details of it because some of it was just horrific. And again, like half of you won't even believe me. People will go, "Nah, that didn't happen." Yeah, people, I don't like, think people I, believe I, me when I tell happened. them half the stuff I say. Yeah. yeah. It 100% happened. And not only that, these people then just like got up the next day and were like walking uh, the 25, 50 miles back to yeah. their village the next day with their newborn baby on them. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't believe it. It's It has then colored me in my in my opinion of a lot of things going forward, because actually as much as we have, and I, and I hate, and I hate false comparisons. Like, you know, it's that classic thing, like, Oh, you say you're hungry, but there's starving kids in Africa. And I go, well, suffering is relative. You know, it's just because there are starving kids. Yeah. It doesn't change the fact that I'm, I'm hungry now, but it does. But knowing that there are starving kids in Africa also means that, I'll be respectful and grateful for what I have yeah. and do what I can and what's in my power to make sure that I don't forget yeah. that what that's what's happening in the rest of the world and that's what other people have to cope with. And, you know, just because that's happening doesn't mean that I shouldn't want to strive for the best in front, in front of me because actually it, it would be dishonourable to forget that and forget the privilege that we have um because, because the people that you know they, the people who want to kind of keep things the way they are and not change things they don't give a care they don't give a crap about those starving kids in africa either no they're just using that to make you feel bad about yourself and and i think and i think it's really dis- it's a disingenuous argument yeah um, it is it and is. but i would i would recommend everyone at some point and you know we're talking about africa because that's the experience that that's the lens through which i saw it you went to uh southeast uh southwest africa i went to west africa but you know it's all over the african continent the uh, americas asia asia's yeah uh, you know what i would say is probably like eight out of ten people in the on the planet probably experience some level of um that kind of healthcare. And it does, it stays um, with you. What you see, yeah. it just, it leaves an imprint that you just carry, carry with you, I think. And it has for me. Mm. You know, you said in the last couple of years, you'd changed your roles a little bit, done some other books and yeah. pieces. That because, <laughs> I don't know if you heard this, there was, there was a pandemic uh, recently. I think, I can't was remember there? what it was called. Uh, it was I something did read about, something yeah. about that in the yeah. Daily Mail, because obviously I was off for two years, wasn't I, as a GP? Yeah, we were closed, weren't we, for two I years? Know. 
you know, Schrodinger's GP, you know, simultaneously mm. lazy and not doing anything whilst also being so busy you can't see patients. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's Can't get a problem yeah. with my GP because the phone lines are jammed, but yeah, yeah. they're not doing anything. <laughs> because they're not doing anything, exactly. How have you found it then? What, the pandemic? Mm-hmm. That was absolutely shit. Absolutely shit. I wasn't the one of the ones. I think some. I think everybody coped really differently. Some people coped really well with it. Um, I think I had a lot of personal stuff going on at the time, which I struggled with. So I think at the very start of the pandemic in March 2020. So what my uh, my grandma died of COVID, and um, I was at work at the time, and it that was my very. We only just learned about about it at the time. It was a week into lockdown so it was just very 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 fresh and it was my first experience of oh my god I can't I can't go and see her I can't see my family I had to do an online funeral um and I was so confused and medically and then professionally I just felt so personally I felt isolated professionally I felt isolated because as a GP we were all kind of in our own room seeing patients you know we weren't interacting with each other at all um I just felt so lonely and then later on that year my my, my dad got cancer and, um, and my cousin who I was close to she she died so I had so many really significant tough life bereavements that I was dealing with alone and I think how I coped with that I didn't cope very well but how I coped with it was I just threw myself into work as a distraction method. So for me, work is a coping mechanism almost, because if I'm sitting at home, not doing anything, I'm just thinking about it and just getting really sad about everything. So I just, I just worked. Um, and so, yeah. and also with a and I've, I've always really loved working in a and I love a and work. Well, and, why wouldn't you? I do. I do love it. I love the key side of things. Um, but also having a pandemic with kids. And, you know, my husband got changed to 12-hour shifts. We're trying to homeschool. So I needed a job also that I could do night evening shifts so that I could look after the kids in the day. And then we would just kind of tag team it. So the last, you know, that, that year or year and a half was just a bit of a blur of just coping and trying to get through it, really. God, that sounds all a bit grim. We're all better. We're all okay now. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to bring it down. But it was. It was. That's right. It was tough. It's your experience. It, it, was, it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. But I joined Twitter then as it, well. Oh God! <laughs> Which yeah. was Twitter was. Twitter. It, it, it's. It was definitely a mixed blessing during that time. Do you know what? Um, Twitter saved me. I'm. I. I'm not even exaggerating. I joined Twitter in. A month after my grandma died, because I hadn't got a clue. Like, my practice wasn't the most forward-thinking practice. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I just felt so lost and joined Twitter and just met all these amazing people. I met Simon Hodes and Bethan and Mayjay and Selva. And it was just, it felt like having work colleagues again and... It was, it was, yeah, I, I, when I say Twitter, all right, so it means a bit of an exaggeration, but it really kept me afloat just through the friendships and the connections I made through, through there. Oh yeah. 
it was something different, I think. Um, yes, the pandemic. How it's did you cope not... with the pandemic? Were you well, all right? Like said, How did you find it? I, much like you, uh, threw myself into it. And then I got sick with COVID, which was interesting. But I was the oh. first consultant, I believe, that tested positive in my trust. I may be wrong on that. Don't quote me on it. But it was very early on. Um, it was before the first lockdown I tested positive. And, oh, gosh. Um, it wasn't just me. I think there was a, a single patient that came in where we weren't quite as slick as we should have been with everything. And it took out, I think, a total of five consultants, this one patient did. And I think very quickly we realised this is not a hit rate that we can uh, cope with <laughs> going forward. Uh, we can't have five consultants going off sick with every every uh, sick COVID patient coming in. Um, very quickly things changed uh, but it was it was uh, an interesting time, and um, I so we was really really like a flurry of activity. I remember in the first few weeks of the pandemic, I was involved with the um, trust wide training, um, training people to do put on PPE and do CPR and handle dead bodies. I mean, it was like crazy stuff. Like, uh, yeah, 18 hour days uh, for weeks on end Gosh. to begin with, uh, just to it's get really everyone tough. ready for it all. Um, and I was reading so much, ev- like literally everything I could get my yes. hands on. Um, I felt like regarding a new it. every day or in, oh, oh my yes. word. Yeah, God, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I do every a lecture day, for yeah. the medical students about that time, and I literally show them. The, the version changes that were day by day for like the CPR and COVID. Yes. And, and that was just one aspect, like, you know, moving patients from here, there, and it, it was a crazy time. And um, then I got sick and I got sick oh, and I was sorry. quite ill with it, but not in a, not in a dangerous way. And it was interesting for me at the time because actually it, we didn't know regarding the, you know, the healthcare, uh, related mortality of it wasn't really well known so I wasn't overly worried either I was like oh this is a bit crap it's like a really really nasty kind of fluey type symptoms and like really bad body aches and high temperature but I was okay really I probably went back to work a bit sooner than I should have done um and because again I just felt guilty being at home when everyone else was working yeah and um then it was just surreal uh, during the first lockdown, you know, it was not really, really sick people, not many, loads of people staying away. Um, and we knew that that was going to be a problem because, you know, strokes and heart attacks hadn't stopped, but for some reason they weren't turning up to the emergency department, yes. anymore, probably due to yeah. the climate of fear that was around it all. And despite yeah. everyone saying, you know, like we're still open, we're still doing all of these things, you know, those, those people didn't turn up until it was really late. And I, I remember always noting about how, how much more sick the acutely sick were when they turned up yes. during yeah. that time. And, um, you know, you, and they just put your head down and go on with it. You know, my wife and I were both yeah. in healthcare and we just had to, um, we had the exact same issues, you know, uh, as uh, as you were describing, you know, the homeschooling as well as keeping the kids. I mean, we counted our blessings. You know, we have a house with a garden. We've got fields nearby. Yeah. We've got loads of things that we could do to actually keep the children and ourselves sane. And I, and I constantly was, 
you know, thinking about these poor people stuck in these tower blocks um, with their children and what they're doing and climbing the walls. And uh, it, it was it was such a difficult time for everyone. Um, it's funny revisiting it now because it seems almost it was such a blur as well. Like, the, yeah, it's that thing where we were so busy and every day was the same that time mm. actually seemed like it was going fast. Whereas I think yeah. for a lot of people, time was going really slowly because they didn't do anything during that yeah. period, especially if you weren't working in healthcare, you weren't doing much. So it seemed like it dragged on for ages. But for me, mm. that, that year and a half, at least the very beginning, that kind of just flew by. And, yeah. um, I, and I just stopped at the end of it and I go, whoa, what happened? I mean, I put on like 40 pounds in that time, you know, <laughs> having been doing exercise regularly up until, literally up until <laughs> the first lockdown, you know, I was doing CrossFit and I was, I'd got, I'd gone properly, um, stacked and then, you know, and weird things were happening. Like I started drinking every night, not like a lot. Like for me, like drinking every night and drinking a lot would be like maybe having our whiskey or a beer. Mm. But that was, and I'd never done that before in my whole life. But it was just, it was almost like something we're to coping. do. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was yeah. a strange time. And I look back on it now and I don't really recognize myself um, mm. in that time. And I remember there was uh, probably about a year ago now, it started getting really quite difficult. And it was my wife that first noticed things uh, were changing in my attitudes and my the way I was thinking and the way I was reacting. And um, that was when I took it upon myself to actually refer myself to have some therapy for a bit. Um, and I something I'd never done before. And I did that, and it was a revelatory experience for me. Was it? I had a really good therapist, which we did, again, because it was COVID times, we did it over the internet um, on video calls. If you don't um, mind me asking, how, how, did it, how did it help you? Like, Did it just make you look at your life and see your stress points? Or what was it about the therapy that helped you? The thing that it helped me was recognizing why I felt a certain way. It kind of reconnected me with my mind and body. I think I'd been um, uh, disassociated with myself and become a little bit like I was just watching myself through a kind of third person lens um, as I just went on day to day and just completely took myself out of my body. and felt like the emotions weren't actually there and they weren't, they weren't happening to me. It's fine. It's almost like a simulation of me. Um, I can just turn it off or reload it to a, a, an earlier time frame to, you know, to make the people oh God, who I get to that the gaming completely. podcast understand. God. But yeah, it was that. It was, and then going, oh, actually, the reason I behave this way based on these certain stimuluses is because actually this is what I was thinking and this is what I was feeling and, um, and recognizing that. And it mm. made me appreciate it more. And I got a lot better very quickly once I started um, to recognize those things. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, you know, therapy for things like this isn't curative. It's just a, it's just teaching you to uh, take that time to be introspective a little bit. 
and I yeah. used and that's the funny thing like before the pandemic I would do that all the time I would I would meditate I would do all of these things I you know and the part of the exercise was meditative as well I always talked about you know you, you get so oxygen deprived doing CrossFit that actually it's almost like a transcendental experience and then that yeah. was all taken well, away from me. all of that was taken yeah yeah and all of that was taken away and so um it allowed the, the therapy gave me the space again to um kind of allow myself to stop for a minute and do that the most privileged thing that people have nowadays which is to think about the way they feel because you know medieval yeah. kings would still shiver in their windowless castles and think about how are they going to keep warm overnight you know and they were the royalty of the time yeah, yeah there were more pressing matters it's only in this time frame that we have so much time and uh, enough mental space to actually be able to sit back and go, oh, and how does that make me feel? And it sounds ridiculous, yeah. but actually, no, it, 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 it if does you even allow go back you to, to like our parents' generation. I they didn't oh, have 100%. the bandwidth to, to do that at all. It was just survival yeah. mode from day one, you know. So. Yeah. Mm. Ah, there we are. So I think we answered the COVID question. That was a, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> but you're right about your outlets, like the outlets that you normally have for stress, you know, they were taken away. So your coping mechanisms yeah. were, for some of us were gone. Mm. Yeah. You know, and it, it said people might be listening to this and going, oh, boo-hoo and all this, but that's the whole point. It's all of these experiences are very personal and subjective. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not to belittle anyone else's struggle and experience. It's just to say that this is what, what happened to us, isn't it? It's not to... Exactly. And everybody's experience is valid, you know, regardless mm -hmm. of other people's opinions. And it's, it's not relative. Exactly. Everybody's is equally valid. Exactly right. Mm. You know, uh, getting into better headspaces and and so on yeah. what what do you do of an evening or of a morning to get yourself ready to go and face a day of not doing anything in gp land or also being so busy you can't answer the phones <laughs> um mornings don't come at me with mornings the mornings in my house are complete chaos so let's just bypass the entire let's morning with two kids. <laughs> let's skip past that um uh, I sing, actually. <laughs> Sounds pretty sad. So, um, I'm part of a choir, so uh, that's my little outlet. Nice. So, yeah, so the choir rehearsals, and uh, we're performing at Euro Disney next year, which is really cool, um, and St. Albans Cathedral in December, if anybody wants to come and have a listen. But, um, nice. yeah, so I, I sing, so that's my outlet. But That's I'm not cool. a mum, I'm not a doctor, and just just me, yeah. Yeah. And do you um uh, and, and what you what are you binging at the moment? Oh, I'm binging. Um so I've just I was late to it, but I've just finished Stranger Things. Absolutely loved I don't know, have you seen it? I have watched about two and a half episodes of it, and you just I, have to just I, push I, with I it, push go, it. I need push to go it. back. You have to go the back. Thing is, it, it, it took it's me about everything. three episodes to get into yeah. it. It took me a bit of time to get into it, but then once you're in it, it's it's worth it. But the thing is, right? Theoretically, it's like one of the greatest shows. It's it's almost like it was made for me. 
I'm all about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm all about it. And yet, for some reason, oh. I've just not thrown myself into it. I don't know why. I've got this really weird thing, and it's come up a few times. Where as soon as something gains a lot of popularity, I just don't want to. I just don't want to get involved. I, Same. It's, it's it's terrible. I shouldn't be like this. It, it it makes me out to be a proper pretentious twat. But no, it honestly, doesn't. it's it's almost I... like I can't stop myself. No, I know, I know. But with this one, I actually thought it was going to be quite crap because, like, when I was reading, I thought, oh, like seventies, like sci-fi. It's really not my sort of thing. So I went into it with a quite a negative mindset. So I was pleasantly surprised. So you just have right. to keep your expectations really low and then it can only go up. So that's, you see, that's the thing. I don't think I can. I don't think I can. You you see, for me, right? For me, for example, I was burned. Okay, I've been burned. Because growing up, DC I was DC all the way. DC comics. <laughs> Batman was my thing, right? And the Batman movies back in the day were okay, okay? Michael Keaton, yeah. all that. That's how old I am, yes. Michael Keaton, all that. <laughs> I love those movies, those original ones. And then they started going really crap. And then they really hurt me. And then bloody Marvel come in. And Marvel are like, Marvel's so silly. They're so silly. Their names are silly. The stories are silly. And, you know, why is Stan Lee in everything? This is nonsense. And then see, I loved I it and I hated myself for loving it. I don't watch any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. I don't, I see, I don't know. But you see then, you see then what happened, Nina. Marvel, Superman, but it's all the same to me. All They're right. all exactly okay. the same. Stop being so offensive. Have I pit, how no, many people the... have I pissed off saying that? <laughs> <laughs> but right, here's the thing, right? So Marvel did their thing, and I was like, all right, okay. But DC are going to come back. DC are going to come back, and they're going to do some good stuff. And then there was the, the Christopher Nolan movies, and that was great, marvellous. I love those. And then then I was like, it's about time. We need If they've had Avengers, we need Justice League. And then Justice League came, and honestly, I think I've watched that movie twice, the Justice League movie, and I still cannot remember a single moment of that movie. That's how crap it is. <laughs> if, if a movie is crap, I will forget it instantly to the, the point same. where I would I will sit down and watch it, watch a movie again, completely believing that I've never seen it before, and then just like have like deja vu <laughs> all the way through it. See, I just thought that was my age because sometimes I watch no, something, I'm no. like, I swear it is I've your seen it, this. I it's your mind. <laughs> no, no, it's your mind. Ex- like expelling like a rotten turd from your brain <laughs> the crap that you've watched and then it's like your subconscious is like constantly like knocking on the door like what is wrong with you this is awful this is awful and I, I, then I get annoyed at my subconscious like, like, if it was that bad remind again? me yes remind me oh. that it was crap the first time just that one little thing you've seen this book before by the way don't watch it again <laughs> that's all I'm asking brain and you can't even oh. do that. So don't blame me for putting you through this again. Cause it, okay, oh, anyway. best programme of all time is Handmaid's Tale. Have you seen it? No. See, I've I have huge problems don't like it. My husband yeah, yeah. will refuse to see it. He just can't watch it. I think it's brilliant. Uh, it, do you know what? When I watch a TV programme after work or in the evening, it has to be one that is so, like, I have to be on the edge of my seat. I can't have anything slow-paced or boring because then my mind wanders. I need to have something really gripping and intense. You know, when they have yeah. the warning saying, warning, dramatic or emotional scenes, that's what I am drawn to. You want that, is it? Yeah. yeah. 
no, I need not an adrenaline hit every time. Not, that I watch not an for me. Oh, always. Me. Do you know what, what I want? What I like? What I like? What I like what? to watch is kind of mindless situation comedies. Twenty minutes of pop, good oh, characters. I do, I do need that. As silly well. stories. Something like Modern Family or oh, yeah. Parks and Rec well. or Superstore yeah. or something like that where you can just watch it. I like the people that are in it. There's 20-minute stories, and then that's it. You're I, done. I could watch three, four hours of 20-minute stories. Yeah, no, no, I, I, you need that as well. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Shit's Creek I'm terrible as well. It's my go-to. Shit, oh, Shit's like Creek a, is such a great a chill show. Chill out, quick chill out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Such a great show. Um, I love Shit's Creek. Watch Shit's Creek if you've not seen it. It's a great show. Yeah, it's show. really funny. And what's that other one? Um, oh, oh, God, I've forgotten it. What's the other one? Well, they've got those four people. Um, I've even forgotten her name. And then they go, they all die and they go, they're told they're in heaven. Oh, my God. What's that program? Oh, The Good Place. Oh, The Good Place. Oh, I've seen that twice. Oh, I love The Good Watch The Good Place. It is brilliant for a chill out, just relaxing, just something easy going and easy to watch yeah the good yeah, place yeah. love the good place yeah yeah i i find it difficult to watch the good place but only because i hate the fact that ted danson has such a great head of hair at his age <laughs> i can't yeah, yours, i can't get over my jealousy head of hair it's just to move down south to the facial yeah, area yeah. so it's still full move. and luscious it's just it's it's it's, it's a huge compensatory thing <laughs> Like, if I can't keep the top of my head warm, at least my face is warm. Yeah, no. I would give my beard up in an instant for a full head of hair. Um, People might get a bit annoyed at that, but I don't care. It's the truth. All bald men know this. All bald men know this. They feel this. Uh, It's fine. I'm never going to get, like, plugs or anything like that. Um, I'm leaning into the fact that I'm bald, as you can tell, because I, you know, because you can see the glare off my head on the video. I think it suits you. You've got the beard. You don't even notice the bald head. (laughs) Oh, you're very kind to lie like that. Um... True. All I see when I get is hair. I'm only seeing hair on the screen, and then like hair with some eyes and a nose. Oh dear, yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, most Iranian men are just hair with some eyes and a nose. To be fair, um, they're just some of them are lucky to keep their head on their hair on their head. Oh, Nina, it's been it's been great chatting to you. I can't let you go though without subjecting you to the same question I subject all of my uh, well, most of my uh, guests to. Go on. And if you've listened to it before, you'll know what's coming. Um, but what is the strangest thing you have ever experienced? The strangest thing. I've actually, I do a lot of, I do a lot of crazy stuff, crazy shit. Um, so I've had a hell of a lot of strange things that have happened. But let me, if I was to pick one, um, it would probably be, so I'm a, I've done a lot of backpacking. So backpackers, when you had like before internet and phones, so you literally just go with a backpack and a lonely planet and you fly into one country and then kind of fly out of another country and kind of work your way through word of mouth and meeting people along the way. So that's kind of how I've done a lot of my like traveling holidays. And um, one of them, of course, didn't go very well. Um, so one of them I was doing kind of Europe going into like Eastern Europe I was then going with my cousin and um we all we knew is we were going to fly into Italy but we were in Italy and then we had a flight out from Croatia 
So we just had to like go across the water, the sea, the whatever sea that is. My geography is appalling. Um, so anyway, we got to, we booked this boat and there was like one boat a week that went from the east coast of Italy to that bit of Croatia. And we went there, we had our massive backpacks, it was like dark, it was raining, and we couldn't find this friggin' boat. I'm like, where does the boat go from? We just couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And we had this, like our little, you know, the book where you have your translations in, couldn't find it. Anyway, we found it in the end, and we missed it, it like sailed off. And I'm like, like, what are we going to do? Because we had run out of money, we hadn't got anywhere to stay, we hadn't got any food. And my cousin's like, it's fine, it's fine. We'll just stay on the park bench for like on a bench for today, and then hopefully there'll be another boat in a few days' time. But I'm like, well, we can't because they said it's in another week, and our flight is in five days. We've got no money, son. What are we going to do? And then these, there's this little cargo boat. So these three men on it, and they took pity on us, and they're like, oh, come with us. We're going over there. I, I think that's what they said. They they didn't speak English, and they so. Uh, and I said, okay, are you are you sure? You're, I said, we're going to Croatia. <laughs> are you going to Croatia? They're like, yes, yes, yes. Come on, come on, come on. And I was like, okay, well, let's just go on this boat. So we went on this boat and there was a cargo boat. So we were sitting with all these boxes. Yeah, it was really weird. Sitting under, under this like basement with these boxes. And um, we had to just show them our passports. And then we sat down, we kind of like sailed off. And then I said, so are you going to Croatia? And then they're like, no, we're going to Montenegro. And I was like, oh, okay, like, that's cool, that's cool. And then I was like, to so my cousin, like, Sanj, have you, I said, I've heard of Montenegro, but you've done geography GCSE, like, where's Montenegro? And he goes, well, you did geography GCSE, you should know where Montenegro is. I'm like, I don't know. None of us knew where Montenegro was. Like, oh my God, where are we going? So then we asked the boat guy or the sailor, whatever you call sailor guy. So um, where's Montenegro then? So he got this tissue from his pocket and a pen and he drew like this long oblong for Croatia. Then he drew this like square for Montenegro. He goes like, you're just, you're right there. We're right next door. So, oh, phew, we're kind of going in the right direction. So, yeah, ended up in Montenegro and um, landed in a field. And actually, we got on a farmer's truck with chickens to go to grow. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, that's probably one of the strangest things that's happened to me. Does that count? Oh, yeah. So, okay. well, it's up to you. It's up to you if it was strange to you. I mean, that is, is a nice story. I like. I want to hear more. If I'm honest, it's because it, it's that thing when you're traveling. The story is in the journey. The stats, are, yes. You know, like it, people go, "Oh, we, we took a plane and then we got off and we took some pictures that everyone takes, and then we got back on a plane and came back." And I go, "Yeah, that's that's great. That's a story. You know, I like that. That's that's exactly what I want to hear. And I want to hear about your then your, your five days of travel through." Montenegro, Bosnia and Herzegovina to Croatia. <laughs> oh, I've done a lot of weird stuff, Bob, but if you've seen how we travelled, oh God, yeah, all for my teens. It Back in like the day, that. that's what it was like, though. That's what <laughs> it, it was. The thought, the thought of travelling, with... yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You haven't got a clue what's Before... in this country. You'd have a lonely planet yeah. and then you'd find all the guest houses and you'd literally go door to door and then knock on the door yeah. saying, do you have a room, you know, or do you not? And then you just walk along. You'd walk for miles with a backpack just knocking on doors, you know? Yeah, the thought of travelling now without a smartphone and a good data plan 
yeah. uh, is 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 almost unconscionable exactly. now. But yeah, it was just you just got on with it. Yeah, um, you just got on with it, and that was you. You had it. no idea. Like even now, you're like, where should we go? Like we're planning a holiday. It's like, oh, we're going to go to see this attraction and that attraction and that attraction. But before you're just like going by word of mouth, and you're just like, oh, have you seen anywhere good? Or like, oh, this you should go here, and you just turn up, and you have no idea what to expect. It's like I think proper backpacking traveling is like over now. I don't think you can do it now in the same way as we could no. back then. No. No phones. Um, Can't make a phone call. No phones. My um, Mm-mm. my friend's dad tells me stories, and he's well into his sixties now. And he was telling me stories about the times that he and his friends would um, hitchhike across Europe. Um, and he's a Dutch guy. And yeah. You know, you know the stuff that they would do with their youth, barely anything, and they had no money for travelling, but they would just go and hitchhike. And usually hitchhikers were guys, and there'd be certain areas which they knew were relatively safe that you could, like, hang out together and take it in turns to hitchhike. And it, there was, there was like, a proper code. Like, you know, if you turned up last, you know, you wait until everyone else has got a lift before you try and hitchhike, except yeah. for when the women turned up. Because if a woman turned up that was hitchhiking, you may as well just go sit down and pick the <laughs> get the cards yeah. out because the women would always get picked up first, which <laughs> is both exactly what you would expect, but also yeah. desperately creepy as well. Yeah, it is. It is. I haven't hitchhiked. I haven't hitchhiked. I've done a lot of um, uh, guest houses, and so yeah. you knock on the door, and then you stay with the family. So you all have bre- you have breakfast with the family, and sometimes your payment is actually just helping out with some of the chores like it's you know I feel like that's how you really see a country because you're completely immersed in the culture and the people and you're just one of them so yeah yeah absolutely I mean I wouldn't hitchhike now and I wouldn't recommend anyone hitchhiking now because there's probably quicker and easier ways to get murdered so (laughs) you know it's uh... (laughs) a Don't hitchhike, kids. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Bloody hell. Could you imagine now? Get on your booking.com app and book a nice night. Exactly. Get get that lovely (laughs) flight from the, you know, approved travel agents, AITA. Keep safe, uh, people. Keep safe. Absolutely. <laughs> Take your picture of the Taj Mahal. Exactly. And then go home. Post it on, on Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Exactly. That's all that. Ma- that's all that matters now. That's there all is that no matters. stories to be told. Ah. <laughs> 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 oh, anywho. Oh, Nina, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm not even sure if I can remember what we talked about, but it was. I can't it was remember fun. what we talked about. <laughs> I just chose to show what a crap movie this podcast is. <laughs> Uh, time. Thank you so much for asking me on. That's really kind of you. No, no. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming on again. No worries. Uh, is there anything, is there, is there something you want to uh, promote or anything like that just at the end? A promote? Oh, God, no. Uh, if anybody wants to look after my kids for a bit so I can have a sleep, then <laughs> let me know. <laughs> That's fine. We'll post uh, your um, address and telephone number on of the podcast notes. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> Please feel free to contact Nina directly. Yeah. Yeah. Babysit my kids. Oh. <laughs> right, oh, thanks thank you very much for point. coming on. And um, hopefully speak to you again soon. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Mm. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Echo Chamber. I've been your host, Farbod at Emergency Bod, and my producer has been Silent Ben. See you again next time.